0: Pastor Xavier Reese says our walk of faith begins and ends at the feet of Jesus. Only from the foot
1: of the cross do we obtain a proper perspective about our selfishness and our self centeredness. Paul put it this way in Romans 7 there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. It's a decision I make whether to walk in the Spirit or in the flesh. I have both potentials as
0: a Christian. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Rees, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In a painting titled Crucifixion Seen from the Cross, French artist James Tissot prominently portrayed among the crowd of onlookers to the cross Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomay the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Apostles James and John. Salome is also portrayed throughout the Gospels as a faithful follower of Jesus, but it's her influence as a godly mother in and over the lives of her children that Pastor Xavier highlights for us in a Mother's Day-themed message, drawing today's simple truths from the Gospel of Matthew. Let's listen.
1: The message is entitled, The Mother of James and John. The Bible places the greatest importance and value on mothers in the home to nurture and develop their children, their character, their morals, their ethics. Ladies, you will spend more time with your children than anybody else. That's the way God created it. Here in the book of Matthew will be our primary text, and we'll complement with the other ones. The woman had two sons, again, by the very title. Her name is Salome, James and John and her sons. The name Salome is identified with the wife of Zebedee, as you know, and uh, one of the women that visited the tomb, uh, Matthew gives us that in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six, and it'll cross-reference with Mark and the other ones. Now, this would mean that she was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This would make her an aunt to Jesus and her sons, cousins to Jesus, as John the Baptist was. Uh, Mark fifteen forty and John nineteen twenty-five. John's mother, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, along with other women, as you know, ministered to the needs and the substance of Jesus and the disciples in Matthew 27, 55, 56, and the other Gospels also. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, Solomon came seeking greatness for her sons. Now, nothing wrong with that and in and itself. She's presented twice by the same scenario in the Gospel of Matthew here, uh, 20, and then in Mark ten thirty-five through 45. And Solomon came to Jesus and her two sons, James and John. In verse 20, whatever they came for, all three of them were aware in an agreement of what they were going to petition. Whatever both men wanted from Jesus, they thought that their chances would be better if they brought their mommy to intercede. Salome knelt down before Jesus to petition him. In verse 20 there, the posture of Salome is one of recognition of a superior before her. The personal petition indicated that Jesus was able To grant her petition. The posture and petition were disguised as personal worship. She wasn't worshiping him. She wanted something from him. Solomon, in verse 21, was asked by Jesus what she wished. She sought out, out of pride and ambition, personal favor for her sons. Grant that these two sons of mine are good boys. Still in 21, she asked that power and prestige be granted to them, that her sons may sit, one on the right and the other on the left hand, in your kingdom, Matthew says, in your glory. I mean, Mark 10, in your glory. The three of them probably had the thrones in which the twelve would sit upon in mind. Those thrones will be mentioned in Matthew 19, 28. They were looking for a conquering messiah. The three weren't even considering what Jesus had just talked about, death and resurrection, the death of the cross, in verse 17 and 19. So the context makes it more insulting. She in her mind, as well as her sons, probably believed that Jesus favored them above other disciples, because we always think that people like us more than others, right? They had been chosen to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead in Mark 5.37, Peter, James, John. They had been chosen by Jesus to see him transfigured on the mountain. Mark 9, 2, and Matthew 17. Peter, James, John. Now, Solomon said, oh, Peter's okay, but my two boys are there. She's going to love her boys more than Peter, right? They had a strange combination of aggressive zeal ambition with a sectarian attitude. Two ruffians, and self-centered mama's voice. Amazing. See, often we read the scriptures with colored glasses. We don't see them as God presents them. God presents his people warts and all. Now, Matthew 20, verse 22 through 23, Salome and her sons were reproved for seeking the greatness. In 22, Jesus told them that they did not know what they asked. The word asked there in the Greek it represents a person acting on their own interests, self-seeking. So the Greek is very particular, very specific. You can't hide it. It is the indirect middle voice, they call. So they all knew they were coming for self-interest. And the word indicates that. And certainly Jesus knows what's in your heart, no matter whether you bow, whatever you say, or, you know, like Eddie Haskell, good morning, Mr. Cleaver. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a facade, Now, the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. That's the problem, Jeremiah 17.9. When we're Christians, we get born again, we get transformed, God gives us a divine nature, but my old sin nature is still there. I can be a rat like anybody else. It's a choice now. There's no excuses. No Christian can excuse himself, no Christian can justify himself, no Christian can blame other people. You are responsible on the choices you make, how you respond, how you deal with issues, blaming other people may have held some water to an extent by people in the world, but Jesus doesn't buy any of it. Jesus did not believe in your dysfunctionalism. He says, you're a sinner. Now I've saved you. You're accountable to me by my word and by my spirit. I've given you my spirit, my word, my mind, the armor. I've enabled you. Excuses are over. In 22, notice Jesus asked all three, if they were able to drink of the cup, that he was able to drink in the baptism by which he was going to be baptized with. He asked them, Are you, are you able? The cup represents the experience of the cross, as Psalm 23, 5, 75, 8 tells us. And the baptism identifies his sorrow and his death. Psalm 22 is a perfect example. Psalm 69, 15. Notice they responded without hesitation. We are able. Whoa proud, self-assured, and arrogant, thinking that they were greater than the other ten. These were the cocky sons of thunder. <laughs> in 23, Jesus prophesied that indeed all three of them would drink of the cup and the baptism. James was killed by the sword, as we've seen in Acts 12, 1 and 2. John was exiled to the Alam of Patmos after he was attempted to be boiled to death in oil, Revelation 1-9. The oil is not mentioned there. We get that from historical tradition. Patmos is there. He's writing the book of Revelation. Their mother would also partake in the sorrow and suffering of the persecution of James, being killed by the sword, and John. By that time, she was probably dead, though. Then notice in Matthew 20, verse 24 to 28, that Salome and her sons were reminded about the principles for servant greatness. In 24, the 12 did not possess servant greatness of themselves. The 10 hearing about their petition were greatly displeased and indignant, angry with James and John. You know why? Because they had the same thing in mind and the two beat the ten. The response revealed that they had the same thing. All 12 had discussed who was the greatest in the kingdom already in Mark 9, 33-34. Two other times this conversation is recorded for us in Luke twenty two twenty four 24-34, and in John 13. Now, if this topic of who's the greatest in the kingdom among the 12 Is recorded three times. You know it happened at least 3,000 times. Who is the greatest? Does anything change today? The world model and practice is to rule and exercise authority over men. In verse 25, he says, The lordship of men is intoxicated with power and oppressive authority. God help us. The kingdom model and practice is to serve. Look at 26 and 27. Greatness comes by being a servant, verse 26. The word for servant is diaconos. We get our word deacon from it. You know what it literally means? A waiter boy. Does that insult you? You're nothing but a waiter boy, so am I. Ladies, you're waitresses. Okay? Nothing reverent about me, ladies and gentlemen. I want just like you. Save by grace. Look at 27. Being first is evident by being a slave to another. Slave means bondservant by choice. The word is used by Paul. For him, service to Christ, by Christ, as bond bondservant of all. We do what we do because of the love of God. It constrains us. We do it because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The kingdom example in verse 45 is Christ. Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark gives us that also in 1045. The word ransom means the price of redemption of a slave from the slave market, which he bought us out from. Mothers, your children will learn the first principles of servanthood through you. Do you do things murmuring, complaining, or with joy and contentment? They'll pick it up from you. You always try to be an example going out of your way to help others. It takes a lot of dying to be able to live. Anybody know anything about that? I wish to God he would have made me a robot in 1973 when I accepted him. I would have been a lot happier and so would a lot of other people. But I'm not. God has given me free will. I must make those choices every opportunity, every day, when the difficult decisions come when the testings come, when the temptations come, when the foreign influence come in. I must make that decision. Are you a servant in the home? Then your children will understand much easier what it is to be a servant in the kingdom of God. Do you do things only for yourself or for your children just when it's convenient and beneficial for you? See, the problem with our, with our society today, we've got about three or four overlapping generations. We've got a generations of adults that have never grown up. They're always focused on themselves. Yeah, I gotta have my time, my time out. I gotta go to the gym. I gotta do this. Now all of those things are on it. But listen to me. And those of you who are single, I'm not saying that you can't have fun, but it's not all about you. If it's all about you, don't get married. Your husband, now you've got to responsibility to wife. Your wife, now you care for your husband. Your parents, your children come first. The woman, Salome, was an ambitious mother. Nothing wrong with that. But the wrong ambition is no good. Thirdly, the woman was a grateful mother. Now, Salome had to have been so grateful for the Lord's loving patience as she reflected back to the petition for her two sons as she saw Jesus on the cross. So now they're there at the cross. All four Gospels record women at the cross, and Salome, the wife of Zebedee, was one of them. Matthew 27, 55-56 says, And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking from afar off, among whom are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's son. So here she is. All women, she's one of them, and John is there the only man. Mark puts it this way: Mark fifteen forty to forty one. There were also women looking from afar off. Then mentioned several of the names. Many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Luke twenty three forty nine says, but all of his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And then John nineteen twenty five says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. you got a whole bunch of Marys at the cross. (laughs) Okay? Solomon is one of them. Here she is. She has to be grateful at this point. The timing of her petition was insensitive when she asked that of Jesus. Jesus could have reproved her for her arrogant request in view that he had just declared that he was going to go die on the cross not an appropriate time to ask a petition for your sons but he didn't Jesus could have reproved her for her hypocrisy of kneeling before him with an ulterior motive but he didn't Jesus could have withheld her two sons sitting in the kingdom but he won't (laughs) Jesus could have declared the selfishness of all three of them. In fact, all 13 of them. And not gone to the cross. Just, you know what, forget you guys. But he didn't. Salome had to have been grateful to Jesus that he didn't grant her personal petition. In um, Matthew 19, verse 28, it says, So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the kingdom And in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who follow me, he will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This would be in the future. But here is at the cross, and they're all there, and Jesus is at the cross. Requesting the right hand and the left hand for her son was not what she thought it was at this point. She's at the cross, okay? She thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to destroy Rome and set up the kingdom. That's why she made her petition, and so did James and John. She rationally thought of getting her two boys in the best 2 throne seats to have the best place, requesting the right hand and the left hand at her own will. She had no understanding of the cross of Jesus, that he was walking under the shadow of the cross, headed to Jerusalem to die. She had only her own will for her own two sons, contrary to God's will and purpose. Because here she is at the cross, and she's looking up to Jesus. And she realizes, it hits her between the eyes, that if Jesus would have said, all right, James, you get the right, John, you get the left. As she's looking up to Jesus on the cross, she would realize that James would have been crucified to the right of him and John to the left of him. And she realizes, I don't know what I need to ask for. Thank you for the no, Jesus. Are you as excited about the no's that God gives to you? No, you can't have it. No, I won't give it to you. Listen, a no from God is a double yes, it's protection. But if we're not mature, then we pout like little kids. I can't believe God. You know all that I do for him. Oh, yeah, I know. You're the savior of the world. You help him out, all right. If God could gain something from you or I, it's a headache. At this point, she realizes God's wisdom, God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion. It's at the foot of the cross, ladies and gentlemen. Nowhere else. You might be at the foot of the cross right now Sunday morning as the scriptures is being read and the spirit is ministering to you but what do you do after you leave here the rest of the week? If you don't remain at the foot of the cross then you're, you're going to church, you're playing church but you're not being the church and that applies to me also. No one else. All of us. It's been put this way. O thou whose bounty fills my cup with every blessing meet, I give thee thanks for every drop, the bitter and the sweet. I praise thee for the desert road and for the riverside, for all thy goodness hath bestowed and all thy grace denied. I thank thee for both smile and frown and for the gain and loss. I praise thee for the future crown and for the present cross. I thank thee for both wings of love which steer my worldly nest and for the stormy clouds which drove me trembling to thy breast. I bless thee for the glad increase and for the waning joy and for the strange, the settled peace which nothing can destroy. The will of God. Perfect. Only from the foot of the cross do we obtain a proper perspective about our selfishness and our self-centeredness. The culture will cater to you, ladies and gentlemen. They will tell you, you're the greatest thing since ice cream. Paul put it this way in Romans seven twenty four to 8, 1, o wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's a decision I make whether to walk in the Spirit or in the flesh. I have both potentials as a Christian. As a non-Christian, I only have one. I can only walk in sin nature. Only from the foot of the cross do we assess the true value of things that we once placed such high value on. Paul put it this way in Second Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. From the foot of the cross, you can make those decisions when emotions want to pull you, when circumstances, temptation, pulling, people's influence, people's this and that, that you stand fast because you're at the foot of the cross. You have the word of God. Currents. You know, when they put a ship out in the ocean, they're going to go from the Atlantic uh, in the Atlantic from the East Coast over to Europe. You know, that, that, that captain, when he gets in there, he, he sets his course. Do you think he sets his course and goes to sleep and never checks it again? There's all kinds of currents in the ocean. They have to reset their course every time if they're going to get there because currents take you off course. Your sin nature, the world, testing, temptations, bad friends, media, the liberal professors, religious people. You're pretty negative people. You ever talk to Jesus? You ever read the gospel? Do you think it's new to this generation? You ever read the first century church history? This is the danger of today's society they don't know history only from the foot of the cross can I be grateful to Jesus because I'm, I'm at the foot of the cross I look up there when I look up there what should grip me right between the eyes is I should be there I belong there not him at the foot of the cross you see that not afar off God made him to be sin for us and who knows sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him 2 Corinthians 5 21 wow only from the foot of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, can I see clearly the foolishness of many of my petitions in the past and the potential of them in the present. That's why Paul said to Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God has enabled us to live, to crucify life, to grow, to mature, to develop but it's a choice, a commitment, a decision of abiding in Christ Jesus. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Do you think that's changed? More people know about Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola in the world than Jesus Christ. For the first time in our nation's history, there are people in the United States that have never heard about Jesus. For the first time in our nation, we can teach our ethics of Christianity, a Judeo-Christian ethics. It's in opposition It's under attack. The woman, Solomon, was a grateful mother at this point, wasn't she? (laughs) What changed the whole perspective? She's at the foot of the cross. Remember Solomon, mothers. (laughs) Good lesson for us. The woman, Solomon, was a mother. The woman, Solomon, was an ambitious mother. The woman, Solomon, was a grateful mother. That's how she ended up at the foot of the cross.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrating with Salome, the mother of apostles James and John, how leaving your life at Jesus' feet is the one place life can be found. And you can pick up your own copy of today's study, The Mother of James and John. It's available as usual on CD for just $4. And with it, we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier taught the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Mother of James and John. Or you could simply mention today's date so we can get that out to you right away. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station and all your correspondence. This is one way we have of checking on the impact of this outreach in your area. Then join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.